This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey, everyone. This is the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast, an iHeartRadio and Dan Patrick Podcast Network production. I'm Alan Nevins. And I'm Joey Santos. Are you sure? Uh, Last time I checked. Okay. And this week, we're talking to best-selling author, journalist, and biographer Suzanne Finstad. And, you know, she's one of my favorite clients because of the way she writes these books. You might recognize her titles, such as The Complete Biography of Natalie Wood, which has been recently reprinted because it was originally called Natasha. Uh, Her book Child Bride about Priscilla Presley, Air Not Apparent about Howard Hughes, and Sleeping with the Devil. Talked about some true crime you might want to get into. You know, I I love Suzanne, and um, she's the best in the business, especially when it comes to deep investigative work. Probably this is the best guest for our theme this week called Hollywood Uncovered. Oh, it is so perfect. Hollywood Uncovered is her beat. So let's grab a drink and dive in. So, Joey, why have you chosen this cocktail, and what is it? Because it's a bright, beautiful yellow. It's called the Lemon Burst, and I created it for Suzanne because it's her favorite drink. But we'll get into it later, which I'll explain to her when she arrives. So you'll get all the details. All right. I don't know if I can wait. Sitting, <laughs> sip it's it, sitting sip here. It, sip I'm going to sip it. And you sip know what? It. I'll have a second one when she arrives. Sip it. Uh, let's talk about your guilty pleasures this week. Well. Did you watch one of those crappy shows that I hate? Or You know what? Now that you mention <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I did. The Real Housewives of New York premiered and uh wow so you've moved from new jersey to new york well new jersey are my buddies We're now those are my girls new jersey real housewives of new jersey are my girls they're my pals my friends i support them Woo, jersey i'm, I'm not even from jersey mm-hmm. but they're my girls and i love their show i love them i will not say anything other than yay to that new york i don't know what they're thinking that premiered, and I watched the premiere episode, and I'm very disappointed. I'm very disappointed. It is so duddy, so dull, so, and these new characters, it's forced, it's inauthentic, and it's just not, not exactly like it was all those things to begin with, but 
this is really... Does this mean you're not going back to it No, I'll go week? back to episode oh. three just to be sure. Oh, okay. But I'm a little disappointed. So, bravo, we in danger, girl. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. Okay. Well, I'm going to go back a little bit because we did talk previously about Vegas, but my guilty pleasure, we need a little change up in Vegas that we didn't talk about. And that was, we're walking through the Bellagio and we thought, oh, this is the restaurant we're supposed to go to tonight. And we already did sushi. And of course we all said, well, let's just switch it up. And everywhere we called said they were booked. Yeah. They said, are you crazy? Vegas was full. So we are walking we by. by Spago. And then for us. Well, we went to Spago. We went to the thing and we said, can we get in? And she kind of laughed at us. And she said, we're booked till Monday. And I said, well, we're not here on Monday. We're leaving on Saturday. And I said, and we really want to sit outside. Otherwise, we'll just keep our. And she was like, "You're never, you're never going <laughs> to sit smirked. outside." <laughs> and for somebody in Vegas to smirk at us from Beverly Hills <laughs> is not cute. You don't so smirk. We kind of looked us. at each other and thought, "Now what are we going to oh, really? do?" I'm and smirking. then I thought, "Wait a minute, I know somebody." It's and called I, Wolfgang. I texted Wolfgang and I said, "We're standing outside your restaurant, the Bellagio." It's someone's, you know, in birth, Vegas. It's one of their decade birthdays, and I really want to take them. Is there any way, you know, we can sit out on the balcony at Spago overlooking the beautiful Bellagio Fountain? He said, wait a minute, live, love, eat, and make call for you. <laughs> he didn't quite say that, especially since it was a text. But not well, five minutes it. later, he texted us back and he said, you have an incredible table outside on the balcony overlooking at 7.30 p.m., and when we went home, and of course we had, it was like four hours later, and we came back, and those girls, you know, we were like and sniffing. She and was like, and she said, "Are you Alan?" I said, "Yes," and she said, "Oh, we're so ready for you." And they mm -hmm. led us out to that table, past all those people, and that table was front and center on that thing, and we had an amazing time. The staff went out of their way; they Tammy. took pictures with us, Tammy and Paul, and Paul and the manager, Christoph. Christoph, I hope was they're amazing. not mad. Don't call them because they're not going to do it for you. No, and um, call us; we'll make we'll arrange we'll it. We'll make it happen. And then fabulous champagne was brought to the table, and an array of desserts for Will. Oh my God, the desserts were crazy. Were amazing. Yeah, but we had the best time. It was so beautiful, and I don't know what was going on with the fountains. They were not every fifteen minutes; they were like every five minutes. I don't know what was happening because it was us. Oh, that's what they must have arranged. It yeah, just they arranged for us. it. So they arranged it. So I would say my guilty pleasure was being spoiled at dinner in a really beautiful setting, and yes, I want to thank Wolfgang and the delicious food and. We yeah. were able to live, love, eat. And by the way, if you can go live, to that, love, eat. Are you done? Almost. Well, that's what he, that's his slogan. Okay. We're never going to get a table ever again if you keep that up. <laughs> but I want to thank him because he made an amazing, amazing evening for us. You know, if you haven't been to Spago, it's worth going no matter where it is because the food is always great. Yeah. But if you can go to that one and you can sit outside on that balcony overlooking those fountains, you will not be disappointed. Also, Joey. Yes. Tell them about our two peas in a podcast, which they should go and see. So we do this little side thing called Two Peas in a Podcast. And it's sort of like on the side of our two guys from Hollywood. So we create these little dishes. And to go along with, you know, as you know, we create the drinks for our guests and, and whatever our inspiration is for the And now week. we create the dinners for and Alan. Now we can, <laughs> now we can create dinners for Alan. But we make food for a little five-minute, five to seven, ten-minute tops 
little recipes and ideas for you to uh, um, make some great dishes. So, and I'll instruct you and that you can mimic them accordingly. And so we're going to do a, um, a lemon scampi pizza. Oh, that sounds delicious. You can watch these two peas in a podcast segments on our Instagram live, and we will announce the time on our Instagram. We will be right back with Suzanne Finstead. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we're back. And with us today is author Suzanne Finstad, who has written some really interesting books that we're going to talk about. They are investigations, really, more than anything, into some rather interesting lives. And we're going to talk about her background and how she got into that. But welcome. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. I'm happy to be here with a couple of drinks, a couple of guys. Could it get better? (laughs) Well, and and Joey has created this drink for you, so he's going to tell you a little bit about it. Oh, do tell. You know, when something is is that good, you can't really do much (laughs) different for it. You know, I mean, you can't. Why change it? Right. And I know that you like a lemon drop. I do. So, and you did request that heavy sugar on the rim, which I did perform for you. Yes, appreciate both. Um, And so I, I did the recipe, you know, as intended. Okay. But what I did, instead of it calling a lemon drop, I call it a lemon burst because if you'll notice on top of your lemon wheel, there's a lemon starburst. There is. I didn't notice that until Just to now. Just add the little extra what sugar a happy like surprise. we all need as a good diabetic <laughs> yeah, should. Exactly. Wow. So cheers. Well, skull, cheers as welcome. my people say. Yes. Skull. 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 Yeah. Because sugar's dropping all over the dog. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. Delicious. Yeah. Good. I'm glad Thumbs you Thumbs like up. It. Thank you. Excellent. Or pause up, as our oh interloper God, here would say. Yeah. <laughs> that's actually better. Even with the sugar rim, it's not quite as sweet as a lot of lemon drops are. Why is I, that? Yeah, because I did the fresh lemon juice, which I really squeezed yeah. it, you know, and got get more, added more. So you have the tart. Yeah. And then I thought it would just make it. That's why I did the Starburst in it, just to give you that sweet rather than so much sugar. So what? how do you make a lemon drop? So it's really simple. Simple, <laughs> simple syrup. Yes. Uh, fresh lemon juice and kettle one vodka. Oh, yeah. No, that's good because I like them, but a lot of times in the restaurants, they're very sweet. This or is not tart, as sweet. you know, and I think tart is a little better for me. Yeah. So today, Suzanne, our theme is Hollywood Uncovered. That would be my role. I know. That's why you are our guest <laughs> yes. today. Well, I'm a Hollywood boy, too. So uh, okay. I grew up in Beverly Hills, so we have a lot to talk All about. All right. Well, I can pull those covers back for you. Okay. So for our audience, we want them to know a little bit, like, who are you? Why are you here? What do you know that they don't know, which is quite a bit? Yeah. But let's talk a little bit about your backstory. Your first book was Air Not Apparent. Yes. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay, which was about Howard Hughes' estate. Correct. And at that time, you were working for a law firm. I was. Tell us a little bit about sort of where that started and how that book came to be. Oh, I, I graduated from college at the tender age of 20. And I wasn't sure if I wanted to write or practice law. Were you smart or did they throw you out? I was smart. Okay. (laughs) I was smart, actually. I finished in three years. 
And nice. <laughs> yeah, and uh, so I was kind of casting about for what to do, and I saw. I mean, it's it really is a scene from a movie. I was a French literature major. After many other majors, I started out an architecture major because I'm interested in many things. And there was something on the bulletin board, an advertisement for a position at a law firm. I was living in Houston at the time, and. Then, to be a legal assistant was a novelty. It was a brand new profession. It was to assist lawyers, and you had to have a 4.0 GPA to do this. You really had to have the same qualifications as if you were a lawyer. And since I wasn't sure whether I wanted to practice law or if I wanted to write, I thought, well, this might be an entree to see if I really like it. And by sheer serendipity, Howard Hughes had just died. And the firm where I was interviewing, there was a partner at the firm who had been assigned as his attorney ad litem. Mm-hmm. And what does ad litem Ad mean? litem is an, a legal term of art representing the unknown heirs of Howard Hughes or heirs suffering legal disability, which wouldn't seem to be that germane at the time. But it soon became clear that the richest man in the world died without a will. Mm-hmm. And having died purportedly without a will, finding his heirs became hugely important. And that's the assignment that I was taxed with at 20. So I had this truly dream job of traveling all over the country and within the world to find out who was related to Hughes and who might be inheriting this money. And it turned out to be fraught with danger because, I mean, it was really like a John Because Grisham. there was a lot of money. There was a lot and of money. And trust me, there were all of a sudden a lot of relatives. A lot of relatives. Let me ask you something, just backing up slightly. Yeah. It seems highly unusual that someone who ran all those companies and had all that money did not have a will and that he didn't have business managers that would say, you need a will. Well, what I discovered, because I did being the consummate researcher that you know I am. I started then and discovered that he was obsessed with will-making, Howard Hughes. He started making wills when he was 18 years old because his parents had died relatively young. He considered that he feared that he would die young, and he wanted to make sure that he had his estate taken care of. And he, because he felt himself an orphan, he kind of identified with other orphans and with medical disabilities. And he wrote this really tender will at as a teenager where he wanted to create a medical institute and have his money go were he to die at a young age to medical research. And he continued to make will after will after will after will. I do believe that he had a will at the time that he died. I think the will was suppressed by these avaricious lost on purpose. Yes, lost on purpose. And that these sort of relatives and wannabe relatives who would benefit financially by his not having a will. In fact, as an aside, one of his cousins was a lawyer at the law firm that was representing the Hughes estate. So there you have a prime suspect in knowing where the will was and knowing that he would benefit if that will were to suddenly disappear. Also, wouldn't a will normally be held? A lot of times a person doesn't hold their own will because they just never know where it is. Their attorney who drew it would have a copy of it. But they're not filed anywhere, are they? Well, they They can be. They can be, but typically... In a case with someone as as mega wealthy as Hughes was, the lawyer is going to be keeping that will probably in a safe deposit box yeah. or something. And usually the client will know. One of the problems with Hughes is that as anyone listening to this who knows anything about Hughes from either the DiCaprio movie or having been a Hughes aficionado, he became incredibly 
increasingly, increasingly eccentric. And he had almost no knowledge of what was going on with even his his bowel movements, much less what was going sure. on with and his And Lord knows estate. the last time he had a pedicure was 1947. <laughs> well, you know, I, I compared him in, a, in the book that I wrote about him to a teenage anorexic. Mm-hmm. I mean, he weighed like 90 pounds. Yep. He was, you know, there were sycophants surrounding him who to whose benefit it was to simply acquiesce to these really bizarre requests yeah. of his. Not unlike celebrities today where no, people, it's true. whatever they say, they do, even no matter how bizarre it is. It's, I have yes. noticed this, that this is a pattern that, you know, I saw begun with Howard Hughes that I see perpetuated, just as you said, with the more rich you get and the more insulated you become and the more sort of yes men or yes women that you have surrounding you, they can, you know, sort of whatever bizarre request you have they will submit to it. Oh, sure. And then you All just in the become, hope that they'll be in the will that yes, didn't exist. <laughs> yes, that in this case, you know, I think did exist, but was right. either suppressed yeah. or destroyed or whatever the case may be. So just to sort of encapsulate this, to give you an idea of the really ultimately dangerous task that I had at this very young, impressionable, and initially naive age and stage of my life yep. was that I find myself searching in earnest for either Howard Hughes' will or for those who are legally deemed to be his heirs. And then against this backdrop, there are this group of conniving relatives who have have fashioned a secret, literally a secret settlement agreement to divide the estate between or among themselves so that what I'm researching is very much in conflict with what they're Dividing on and their, their own. intentions are yeah right. So you were working at this law firm and you thought these people are basically stealing his money, and you spoke up or you wrote the book later or how, what? What happened next? And and then I know that there was a, a scuffle that was quite severe. Yeah. So yeah. tell us a little bit about yeah, that. more than a scuffle. Well, I did speak up. I didn't. I really, honestly, didn't fully comprehend the corruption. The scandal. You were that a naive was, twenty years old. I was. I was twenty years old, and I <laughs> I know now in retrospect that's one of the reasons that I was chosen for this incredibly important job at the age of twenty. Is I'm sure they saw a twenty year old blonde and said, "Well, let's put her in this right. position." She won't say anything yeah, or do anything or notice happen. anything. She will, you know, she'll do nothing. Right. And as you know, you couldn't find anyone more intrepid than I am. And um, you know, I and never when it comes give up. To Twenty billion dollars or whatever. Yeah, it was. Exa- and I also felt, I, and I have found that this has been a leitmotif for me with all of my books that I tend to, you know, they're like marriages to me. I get so attached emotionally to the subject, to the person that I'm writing about that, um, you know, I feel this this sense of almost mission to either avenge the person for the truth to come out. Sure. And in Hughes's like case, responsibility. yes, I yeah, did well, feel well, more Well, it's called being an honest person. Yes, I guess That's it is. Integrity. Called. Remember that yeah. word? Yeah, yes. integrity. We don't, it doesn't exist yeah. in the no, world anymore. Yeah. You can't spell it's, it. It's true. Actually. It'll act it. Yes, I'm an anachronism <laughs> in that respect. And I still am that way. And in the case of Hughes, I felt that same sense of moral obligation to him. The people working at this law firm representing his estate These are major players. Some of them were in Reagan's White House. At some point, I can go into greater detail about this, but it's it's really conspiracy at the very highest. Well, it's in the book, which they should read. Yes, Yes, absolutely. And some of it outside the book because Mm -hmm. I didn't include my personal harrowing experiences because I didn't write it as a first person, which is what you know you and I have talked about doing filmically, where you know that can sort of come into play. 
because I did bring up the things that I was noticing when I would find discrepancies between who, per the secret agreement, was going to get the money versus what I found in my independent, honest research, who was actually related to him, and those were just brushed aside. My my objections were brushed aside, so I began to suspect something strange is really going on here. And then the partner with whom I was working would not pursue things when they needed to be pursued. It came to a kind of really uh, horrible climax just before the case went to trial, and I was going to be a star witness at the trial, both as the person who was doing kind of the investigative work on the case and also having information about who his heirs truly were. And this was going to be my kind of vindication for all the work that I had done and my opportunity to reveal what had been kind of squelched while I was working on the case. And shortly before this, my home was broken into and I was beaten and left for dead in a home invasion. We were joking about the right camera angle earlier. It's because this person who entered my home used a crowbar to break through the kitchen window, beat my face with this crowbar. I would be dead were it not for the fact that, and here's a little historical beauty reference for those of you listening who remember the Clairol Hot Rollers. I had Clairol hot, Hot Rollers in my hair because I had a breakfast date and I thought, oh, I can sleep in a little bit later if I put these in tonight. And they're like wearing a helmet. You know, they were really hard. And, you know, it was maybe two in the morning and I had this kitten. And I mean, tiny kitten, about six weeks old. And I kept hearing foot pattering and I thought it was the kitten. And instead it was this person breaking into my house. And after this happened, you know, I saw him crouching in the doorway of my bedroom, which is every woman's worst nightmare. nightmare. Particularly a young, you know, a young woman. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. just your nightmare. Even with curlers in your hair. Even with curlers in my hair. And, you know, having two older brothers, it was my inclination to fight back. I know they sometimes say not to do that, but, you know, that was just my nature. I'm not going to just submit or acquiesce. So I know I did. Without a fight. Exactly. So I did get some good licks in. I know that. But, you know, when he used the crowbar and was hitting me on the face and hitting me on the head and was clearly left me for dead not knowing that those curlers were like a helmet that would save my life. So I went on the floor and played dead at that point. I was on the floor already, but I went into a fetal position and played dead. And he assumed that he was successful. And I'm sure he was sent to kill me because I was going to be testifying at this trial soon after. And then my kitten kept coming in to check on me because I was curled up on the floor and she would come over and sort of lick my face. And I didn't want to show any... Signs of life, because I didn't know whether this guy was still in my house or not. So that was, I mean, honestly, I I can never explain how it was... It was the How worst. How long did it take you to, to, to reconcile that? I mean, do, are you, do you suffer from PTSD? I and do have PTSD. I had extreme PTSD for a very long time after that. In fact, if someone would come up from behind or if I, I you know, heard something yeah, that I wasn't unexpected. expecting, I would, I would literally leap. And it was actually, it took until I moved into a high rise in West Hollywood where I had a 24-7 doorman and that felt, felt secure, that I like... felt secure again. So that really is what gave me back my peace of mind. But I mean, that... So you testified, though. I you did still testify. testify. I testified. But so here's... they were pissed off by then. Well, I remember when, when, when the partner at the law firm, who was my boss, when I came back to work alive, mm. and ha- I mean, my nose was broken, I had a big cast over my face, and he looked like he had seen a ghost because I'm sure he assumed that I was right. dead. And so I did testify, but the twist in it is that because he was the one questioning me and then the lawyers for the estate also questioned me, 
they never asked me the pertinent questions about who is related to Hughes and right. who should get the money. But you never had a chance to so say I anything. So I never had a chance for the big reveal. So is That's that why, why you I, wrote the book? Good thinking. That's exactly then, why I wrote did the they book. Not, so when you are exposed, but in the book you expose who this law firm is. Yes. Did they not sue? because? No, because it's truth. You know, truth is an absolute defense to right. any so kind of defamation. Right, so they thought if we sue her or do something, then, we'd have to, then they'd have to investigate. They would, right? exactly. They'd have to be deposed. So they would have to discuss it. How did this wind up? I mean, who did it? Did it ever get resolved as far as yeah. the will, the money? The law the firm money, got the... all the money, right? Yes. That book would make an unbelievable series. It would. It would I mean, make it's, a great 10 episodes yeah. or something because it's so well, fascinating. You're Mark that. Yeah. So interesting. Because the tentacles reach to people in the Reagan White House and it really reveals Absolutely. corruption that is Absolutely. terrifying. And celebrity and everything that's attached yes. to that. Then after that, you decided, okay, this worked. You did Air Not a Parent. It got some great reviews. Yeah. And I re received a literary award for that. Congratulations. So it was, thank you. Yes. So that was really encouraging. And you thought, that, oh, I think maybe I like this writing thing. Yeah. And that was what my initial bent was in life anyway. So it really sort of put me back it to the path that, that I was originally yeah. on. It did. It right. crystallized that this is what I meant to be doing. And it also sort of was an epiphany to me that there was so much corruption in the law and I didn't want to participate in it. I would rather expose it by writing about it. So that kind of put me on that right. path as well. So so you sold that book to a publisher. I yes. forget who that publisher was. Texas Monthly Press and they were paid off. So very few copies. It's hard to find that book. It, the, oh, I didn't realize oh, they published it. They have a massive magazine. Yes. And oh, I didn't realize that yeah. was the publisher of that book. Yes. Texas. Texas Monthly Press. And so yep. that came, uh, so, oh, well, and there's is a that whole book story in print? About, the book is, I own the rights to the well, book. Why are and we it not could be reprinted. Yes, it could be reprinted. We'll discuss that yes. after the show. Yeah. And contracts with, at the door again. Yes. To the film <laughs> with what's not in the book. There's a lot of business coming <laughs> yes. out of this Thank podcast. You. With my mm -hmm. story that's not in the book. Right. So, then what yeah. happened, uh, Then so then you did that book and you thought, now I'm going to pursue another book. Yes. And then what was the next book? So the next book was a book called Ulterior Motives. And it was kind of in the vein of Hughes in the sense that it was about a Texas millionaire and an estate with all kinds of questions. And this was a very much, it was a Menendez story, uh -huh. but it was juicier than Menendez. It had to do with two sons with a rich father, a rich Texas Any father. Any juicier than that. That was a rough one. It was juicier. Because I lived, I grew up right in that neighborhood. Did you? Yes, indeed. Yeah. So that was very interesting. Yeah. That whole... Did you know about the, the bombastic behavior mm -hmm. of the father? Yeah. And this father yes. was the same way. He yes. had been a Marine and he slept with a, a rifle near his bed and he had his kids. But I also knew that they oh, were. Oh, is that weird? I do that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there, there were things, you know, nothing is like experiencing that or being the person involved in that. Um, when you're in that neighborhood and, you know, and Beverly Hills is a small community as much as from the outside looking in, it's all this stuff. And it is all that too. But the people that live in it grew up in it. We know a lot of things that we don't discuss because it's just part of the lifestyle. Right. Yeah. And after Ulterior Motives, you then pursued which book? After Ulterior Motives was Sleeping with the Devil. Sleeping with the Devil oh. was, which was made into a television movie right. with um, Shannon Doherty mm -hmm. and Tim Matheson. And that was another true crime. It was sort of my true crime period, mm -hmm. I think, because there was... Because there was, but in a sense, they're all kind of they true really crime. are. It and finds me. They're, yeah, they're crime. They're different kinds of yeah. crimes. They're not necessarily the murder kinds yeah. of crimes, but they're crimes. Yes, 
because of secrets. It right, all has to secrets. do with secrets, which and is so after, American, isn't it? Oh, yeah. yeah. And hi, welcome to our world. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then after that book you did. Then actually, I, I worked on a book on Queen Noor. I worked on. Oh, that's I right. Had I done, met yes. Queen Noor during the. Well, that book I was involved you in. You were involved in that. And I met yes. Queen Noor of Jordan. Yes, yes. In Washington, D.C. You did. With you. Now, her with son me. did not get. No, but that's a big story. That's I actually just story. read about that recently. Yeah. That he he did not get the, uh, and he's not happy about it. No, when I read they didn't make him king. Yes, they didn't, yes, yeah, I was with and her, and he's not even a queen. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was with her at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester when King Hussein was dying of cancer, right. and um, I know at the time she was very much interested in having their oldest son become king. And that was one of the complications with the book, actually, is that she thought it might be unseemly if she were seen to participate in a book about her in a Muslim country and Correct. her son were going to possibly be Well, the reason be being king. because she... Because she was a woman. Well, she because was a, she was female, because she was well, American-born. Who else born. have a child with? Yeah, right. well, but, but you she should was explain, American We born. should go back. She, her name was Lisa Hallaby. Lisa Hallaby. Yeah, she was and American. And she came from, uh, was it Michigan? No, she was actually she was from L.A. Oh, she was. She, her father right. was the first appointee of Kennedy. He was the head of the FDA. Uh-huh. He was later at Pan Am, and um, it's when she was just out of. She was right. the first. She was a blonde. She was a she beautiful was a blonde, blonde, beautiful blonde yes. American. Attractive. Yeah. She married King major. Hussein. Yep. Just married... for people who don't know. Yes. And she became Queen Noor, and yes. she was a very the first not American unlike... to become a queen. Right. The first American and, and brilliant, well, brilliant, beautiful. And she was very poised and a lovely person. Yeah. And really, mm-hmm. but I remember when we worked on that book, it was just fraught with all sorts of problems. For that reason, yeah. We'll be back in just a minute. You went on to do another book that has become quite famous yes. and has done extremely well, and many, many, many years later is still in yes. print. And earning royalties, yes. and that is... Possibly more popular than ever because of what happened to it the first time around. Is this it's the called, Natalie Wood? No, this is called Child Bride, the untold oh. story of Priscilla Bolia Presley. Oh, And hello. at the yes. time that, you know, Alan and I talked Wasn't about this. was she 14? That's exactly right, Joey. Didn't he like 14? Bingo. <laughs> um, you know, that's what drew me to write about this. At the time, Alan and I were talking about what I would write as my next book, and The part about Elvis Presley that intrigued me was the fact that he dated a 14-year-old girl when he was in Germany. But he was how old? 42 or something? How old was he? No, he died at 42. He was 23 or 24, and he was in the Army at the time. She was 14. 14. But her parents permitted her to do this. Well, hello. Have we not heard of other situations? But this was in the the 50s, late 50s and early 60s, and they permitted her to move to Graceland with him. Who was the one that married his cousin that was 13? Jerry Lee Lewis. Yeah, Jerry Lee Lewis. Yes, which came before that. A whole lot of shaking going yeah. on or whatever that bullshit yeah. is. Sure there was. Yes. But that was in the rural South. And well, still, I mean, you know. not. I'm not excusing it. I'm just saying custom and practice in that area was yeah. sort of. <laughs> Barely 13. Yes. And do, boo, do, yeah. do. Right, but it wasn't unusual. Was. It wasn't like this was this was an obscure thing. It was happening all the time yeah. in the South. Yeah. yeah. And still. Um, <laughs> Get off my back, Daddy. You're crushing my Marlboros. <laughs> you know. But but here's the thing, Joey. Alan knows this, but at the time that I wrote Child Bride, nobody had explored this aspect of Elvis' ania. I mean, Being it was a pedophile. Just, yes. The truth is, 
Isn't that what that is? It is what that is. And so uh, and, uh, in any well, other it, shape listen, or form. If there was yeah. one person you <clears throat> fell in love with, yes. right, yes. then one could probably take a pass. Yes. Charlie Chaplin married Una Chaplin right. at a very young age, but he stayed with her. This was his. Yes. He married her and stayed with her, and that was that. Yeah. And but he didn't really have a history of yeah. dating young girls. Yeah. But Elvis has a massive history, and, and they think, were all fourteen. And people don't know this, Alan. This is kind of it's in the vein of Finding Neverland. I mean, people began to obviously see that Michael Jackson had this predilection. It was hidden for a period of time, and then it just blew up. And with Elvis, I think that like the Priscilla inappropriate relationship of her at 14, this is something that because Elvis was so beloved and because he was so shrouded and because it was at a time when there was sort of greater respect by the press for the privacy Privacy, of celebrities, it was pre-paparazzi, it wasn't really delved into. And a lot of those relationships were not known. But Alan can tell you that I've been working on a documentary about this and it's been shocking to it's discover. Shocking. And this is the one defense that I will give. You know, I will give this allowance. In that world of when you are thrust into such a, a place and a time where people are, everything is adulation, everything is thrown at you. There is no time and space. There is no age versus age. There's no And no right or wrong. And no right or wrong. And there is no no. Mm-hmm. So, and when I say no, there is not only if there's no no K N O W, there is no N O. Yes. So those complete sentences are incomplete. Yeah, you're stunted. Correct. Right. So the blame goes really where? If it's not really blame to be had, this but is this something is something psychologically that's, exactly that, that's right. off. Yes, that's exactly you know? right. So it's I can't really needs... be mad at any no, of no. that stuff. No, no, it's something or, or that even... needs to be understood. Correct. And needs to be right. explored and treated and, and, and figured explained. out. Yes, yes, exactly right. And, you know, in a weird way, this comes back to what we started talking about with Hughes, where Elvis, like Hughes, was surrounded by yes men. And so whatever he wanted. Michael Jackson, too. Yes. Where's my milk? Yeah. I want my milk. Yes. You know, the propofol or whatever propofol or whatever you call that shit. Well, it's the reason that this Britney Spears documentary yeah, has come out great. recently. And I see that's coming up, that she's going back to court. And I saw that. Yeah, that'll be interesting. Yeah, I saw Well, you that. gravitate towards these things. I do. And and, I, or they gravitate towards or they you. Gravitate I'm not sure Either way, but you know what? You have a great way of putting it in perspective. Well, I guess because I do develop an empathy for the person that I'm writing about or researching, and I never accept a sort of truism I, if something has been repeated and repeated and repeated, I don't just accept that that's true. I do my own independent research. Oh, I know research. that. Yes. I do my own research to see if it is true. And <laughs> that's how you can find that there has been a, an untruth that's been perpetuated and re-perpetuated right. and re-perpetuated. Which happens a lot. Yes. And then, you know, one door opens to an untruth that leads to another secret that leads to another. And, you know, what I've found more than anything is that things are just not what they seem to be, and right. particularly well, in Hollywood. especially in Hollywood. Yeah. So now after Priscilla, yeah. I'm curious how you got to the next book, because the next book has become a sensation. Yeah. And it has become fodder for the tabloids. Yeah. And it has become an open investigation by the Los reopened. Angeles— yeah, yeah, reopened by the Los Angeles Police Department. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, sort of, how did you choose your next subject? Where did that come from? A couple of things. I First of all, I guess I have to 
to cite my older brother, the dentist, who was in love with Natalie Wood when we were growing up. So we saw every Natalie Wood movie whenever we as a family would go to a I movie. It was Natalie always Wood. a Natalie Wood movie. So she was in my consciousness. And I didn't find out until after I'd written the book, actually, that my other brother named his first daughter Natalie for Natalie Wood. So, you know, there's some, you know, meant to be aspect to this. But I had actually seen a kind of really poor documentary about Natalie Wood. And I'd finished Child Bride and wasn't sure what I was going to write about next. And something about video of Natalie in this documentary, I can only say it spoke to me. I just, everyone knows that she's so beguiling and that mm -hmm. there was such, she had such a captivating presence and such a vulnerable quality. And I wondered why there had never been a serious biography of this major icon I wasn't even thinking about her death, to be quite honest. It was right. her life that attracted me because she was right. well, when you one wrote of the, the last book, great the death stars. Was just sort of she died and it wasn't it wasn't Yes, it was thought to be yeah. an accident. Yeah. And I assumed it was an accident. Mm -hmm. I had been a fan we of hoped it was. Yes, yeah. we hoped it was That's exactly right. We hoped it was. I remember sobbing the day that it was announced that she died and seeing Robert Wagner with his peacoat pulled up on Catalina and and weeping for him. You know, he seemed stricken by this and I'd watched his television series, It Takes a Thief, and, and Heart to Heart, and never in my wildest dreams did I imagine that it might be anything but a tragic accident. No, you so, don't picture a glamorous movie star couple, and, and you know, that that's all our fantasies. We attach ourselves yes. to them, and they live it for us. Yes. And, and, uh, we don't want to see any tarnish. You don't want that to be the case. You want them to have had this second happily ever after marriage. It resonated for me in so many ways when I watched this, and I just thought, you know, someone needs to truly do justice to her life. She's had this exceptional career from child star to ingenue and rebel without a cause to full-blown movie star and West Side Story, which they're remaking coming right. out this Christmas, yes. Steven Spielberg. Spielberg is. And so I just thought, you know, she's such an appealing person, and she seemed to have so much drama and trauma in her life, though I had no idea how much drama and trauma at the time. So that's what drew me to write about her. And you and I talked about it at the time. And, um, you know, it was just something that I can honestly say it spoke to me. It was just something that I felt called to write about in some way. And throughout my years of working on it, and it be, it's always years when I'm doing my research, because to do justice to a very complex story, it requires that amount of time. And in Natalie's case, it was like peeling this onion and just more and more and more and more came out. And then when eventually I got to her death, it was, you know, I put it off to the very end because I'd become so attached to her emotionally and to her lovely spirit that I didn't really even want to realize she had died in such a horrible way by drowning. But I had to. It was part of my responsibility and I think having a legal background, I tend to, you know, really go into these things full bore in right. terms of doing my research. And I started by just researching everything I could, investigating everything I could, calling everyone I could. And then I had this tremendous break in getting access to the murder book right. in her original homicide investigation. But, but just to set sort of this straight, yeah. if, if I recall, and maybe I'm wrong— you you had a deadline for the book. Yes. And in in the first edition of the book, you sort of laid the whole thing to rest yes. by saying that she'd had this drowning. Yeah. And, you know, that was that. And the book went to print. And, yes. And, but you could not get it out of your mind. Yeah. 
And you continued your investigations even though the book had been published. Yes, the book had been published. There was so a there was sort something of, gnawing at you? Yes, haunting me, So there really. was an instinct yes. that you had, I just can't complete it until I... Something's not. Well, what it it well was, she thought something wasn't right yes. after she delivered yeah. the book, and yeah. you know, and yeah, took sort of all right. the press, yes. and you know, she drowned accidentally. But something. Well, I was, didn't actually well. say it was accidental. I set forth the facts that I knew. The facts that I had uncovered were damning. They were not definitive, mm-hmm. but they were damning. They were damning enough that I knew in my soul there was more to this story, and that it was that. dark and twisted. So I never let it go, and things kept coming to me. I kept pursuing them to the point that it became inescapable that I needed to put this out there and to let the public know that this was not an accident. So tell us, what was it you pursued after the book had been published? Well, I continued to find witnesses who were around on the weekend that she drowned I was able to find an incredibly critical witness who was dating the deckhand who was on the boat the weekend that Natalie drowned or was pushed overboard. And if I recall, that was through your brother, the yes, dentist. Yes, through my brother, the dentist. This was, again, sort of serendipity it's or very felicity. strange that she walked very into strange. your brother's office and yes. saw your books. yes. And said, is that, you know, who is that? Is that your sister? Yes. Yeah, my brother's cleaning her teeth and almost dropping instruments in her mouth as she's telling him, yes, I was dating Dennis DeVern at the time that Natalie drowned and my brother was trying to act cool, like, oh, really? And then he's asking, well, how did that happen? And and then he asked if she would talk to me. And um, to my great pleasure, she agreed she to talk to me. And it took a lot of convincing for me to get her to go to the sheriff's department to share what she told me with them. And that was critical, critical evidence because he called this girlfriend within hours of Natalie's body having been found. And Mm -hmm. he was terrified. He said, I mean, he was afraid he was going to be implicated in the death of Natalie Wood. And he you know, said, I, it wasn't an accident. Everyone's been paid off. It's, you know, everyone has been shut up. Uh, he pushed her overboard and he wouldn't let me save her. But not her. out of anything other than intent in a fit of anger or a fit of frustration or I think a, an, an argument, argument. all of it. An argument, alcoholic argument. I think, you So need- it would be, so just to be clear, it would be manslaughter because they argued, Right. And if he pushed her, if he allegedly pushed allegedly. her and she drowned, it wasn't his intent to kill her. It was an accidental, except that he didn't really do much to help. As a lawyer, I'm wincing slightly as I hear your uh-huh. version of that because— Well, I'm asking—you can yeah, correct it. I mean, I'm just asking. Think, yeah, but we're trying to, we're trying to, trying to understand. Yes, I think yeah. that there are ways for this to be either at least second-degree murder, uh-huh. possibly first-degree murder, certainly at the time that it happened— Manslaughter would have been a slam dunk. It was, it had this been investigated at all the first time which around, which it was not. Which it was not. Robert Wagner would have been interviewed. In prison. Yes, right. interviewed in prison within seconds. It would have been you know head spinning. It would have been so fast because it was so obvious. But right. because decades had passed by the time my book came out and by the second book coming out, <sighs> now the only option available is murder, and you have to prove either second degree murder or first degree murder. Which is why the deckhand is so critical, because you need that eyewitness testimony. But you really need a second eyewitness, don't you? Because he's been compromised. Because the first time around, he gave a statement that was prepared for him cannily by Robert Wagner's lawyer. 
He didn't even get to read it. He was just asked to sign it. He was terrified. He was afraid he was going to go to prison. And his boss, who's a powerful movie star, is saying, sign this and, you know, otherwise you're going to go down the river with me. Christopher Walken was sleeping in the guest bunk. Is that correct? Christopher Walken was really down in his room, his cabin. was not not a sailor. He'd been seasick through much of the weekend. He'd been drinking. The men had all been drugging. He says that he was asleep. I will let you draw your own conclusions about that. It was a small boat. People Although on it's neighboring possible boats because you know if you drink that her... much, it's easy to fall asleep and not. That's hear what I'm anything. saying. It's an open question. And you're in and a I cabin also down think that, below. I mean, well, I also think because there's a lot of rumors out here. And we might as well set it straight that there was an affair going on, but I don't think people were aware that. Christopher Walken was not really friends with the Wagners at the time. He just met them. They were making a movie together, right? He and Natalie. And they invited him. I think the setup is important. They invited him among many other guests to go to Catalina that weekend. They did. And the weather turned bad. Yes. Other people canceled. And everybody canceled except Christopher Walken. But there's an important distinction. Yeah. He and Natalie were making a film. He and Natalie, whether or not they were having a sexual affair, affair which I don't think they were, they were, not. They were having an emotional affair. Right. It was, they were very bonded. Actors. They were yeah. actors. They yeah. were shooting together. They had a lot in common. They'd both been child actors. Natalie wanted to expand as an actress. Walken had just won an Oscar. They, were, they connected. Right. RJ was jealous about this. He'd right. made a trip to the location shooting. And they shooting. were both, you know, the Stanislavski. They exactly. both had Actor the... Actor Studio. Actor Studio, that yes. whole method thing in yes. common. And, yes. And that's very attractive. They were cooking to, together. You know, they were course. cooking. Yeah, yeah. And right. just to set the scene that you started yeah. to set earlier, it's kind of important to note that there was a Thanksgiving party just before they set off on this weekend at Catalina. And as you said, several others were invited to come along. Natalie actually had a kind of foreboding about this weekend because she knew she'd invited Chris Walken, who was didn't live in L.A., and his wife was back on the East Coast, and it was a holiday, and she wanted him to have some place to go. And she knew there was friction between him and R.J., that, mm-hmm. that her husband had been extremely volatile, and she was worried. She asked several people at the party, please come along. I'm worried about the dynamics on the boat. And Mark Crowley, for example, her secretary earlier of some years, said later, I said no because she and RJ were fighting so much. I didn't want to be alone on a boat with the two of them for the Mm -hmm. weekend. And other friends dropped out because of the weather and various other things. So by some kind of twisted fate, it ends up being this devil's triangle on the boat with, you know, this jealous and bad weather and bad weather. And then this hapless deckhand who is witness to a nightmare. And right. He was like the Cato Caitlin of the whole that's thing. That's exactly right. Kind I hadn't of, yeah. thought about that. A little bit. Yes, he was a Cato right? Caitlin. Yeah, sort of like. Yes, it's true. RJ and OJ. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you and it's, you've got to read the book because it's fascinating. We just did a reprint of it because yes. you added all of this new I material. Yeah. And the publisher, because the book has been so successful. Now, as Suzanne is quite aware, it's an uncomfortable thing for me because I know RJ. Of course. And I know a lot of clients yeah. who know RJ. Yeah. And... And to be, you know, to be fair, this horrible thing may have happened, but he's a really charming man. He's a very nice guy, you know, and, and my my opinion of it is if it happened, it, you know, obviously it wasn't an intent happened, but there was some some things that went on that shouldn't have happened. Like in most of these cases, you know, you make one bad judgment and it all just starts Listen, to fall unravel. there's more than unravel. one way to create an accident. Yeah. yeah. And yes. it's still an accident. 
it's an it's an accident that starts to unravel because you make one wrong move and yeah. then it's you know you know it's sort of it's still an accident. It, it, yeah, it, it, it all happens. So it's you know, and his friends, you know, whether we published the book, and some of my clients are like, "How could you publish that book?" And Did I they? said, "Well, listen, oh yeah." Wow. And it was you know, I was like, "Listen, you know, I don't." I don't smell them. I just sell them. Oh, and, um, <laughs> they smell later. Well, you could have smelled this one. They smell and later. it would have smelled completely truthful. Well, and by the way, if I don't sell it, yeah, another agent would have sold yeah. it for you. So it's not yeah. going to stop the book because yeah. I didn't do it. And you were my client, right? And, you know, and it's always made me feel a little uncomfortable. I can understand and, that. And But doesn't the truth that you Yes, bring? of course. That's uncomfortable, it's, too, it's, some people. They're both uncomfortable. That's the problem. Yeah. And, you know, and, and now he's 90 years old and, you know, they're never going to send him to prison anyway. So in a way, it, it, it all kind of works out. I, I think there's a lot of guilt maybe just by the way he treats himself. Yeah. I, I wouldn't think, be surprised. I that. think he's maybe in his own jail. Oh, I think that's true. I think it's true of OJ. I think that both of them are men who thrive on adulation and who thrive on being charming and being liked. And I think for them to play these roles now of being cast as villains, I think that's anathema to them. I think right. that's a form of prison for right. them to be viewed askance If they by even others. see it. You know, and some people thrive in prison, strangely enough. Yeah, or they're sociopaths. <laughs> yeah, but, not, but like, I don't think he does. There's a lot of um, yeah. lemon yeah. drop yes. drinks going on. Yes. Well, I think there would have to be to live with There'd that memory. Yeah, you'd have to. You can't, you, you, can't, you can't look at your reflection yeah. and, and not do it through... Yeah. I don't uh, think this the is a person who's glass, looking in the mirror I mean? saying, oh, I got away with it. No, I don't yeah. think no, that's, this, God, no. that's not what when this is doing. When you're looking at life through the bottom of a wine glass, yeah. Yeah. it's very foggy. Yeah. And someone of the incredible value of Natalie Wood, who was just the loveliest person and, you know, inside and she and out. was constantly in search of perfect, to, to be better. Yes. She was in therapy. She always yes. was always trying yes. to figure out herself, her motives, her future, her, her career, yes. everything about her. She was also an incredibly uh, wonderful mom. And so there were so many facets to her yeah. that was always in progress. Yes. And then all of a sudden for that just to be yes. cut taken off and a, Taken cut away short. Yeah. and cut short. There's one thing I want you to tell the audience, which I have found fascinating, mm. and that is the, all the premonitions of drowning. Ah, Natalie's mother, who is a character beyond any writer's ability to fully describe her, she's a she was a Cruella Deville, a Russian superstitious mm -hmm. woman who was also a genius. She was kind of a mad genius. She was shrewd. She was um, a mastermind in terms of Hollywood careers. She had seen a psychic, a gypsy, when she was in Harbin, China, as a teenager, and this psychic told her that she would have a second daughter who would be a beauty famous throughout the world and to beware of dark water, that she would drown. And Maria took this in as if it were gospel. And she told little Natasha about this. She was the second which born. Which was Natalie's real which name. Which was Natalie's real name. Mm -hmm. And Natalie incorporated this to the point that even as a toddler, she was afraid to wash her hair in a bathtub because she'd have to submerge her head in the water. She believed that she would drown in dark water. Well, it's so fascinating. Well, we want to have you back. Thank you. So I'd like to come to talk back. About, yeah, and we can actually compare a lot more of these kind of stories. Oh yeah. I've just what are you doing next? That's what we want to know. Yeah. Oh well, gosh, probably some of it's going to be stemming from what we're talking about today. I'm working on a documentary, as you know, about Elvis. 
And something may come of uh, Child Bride in terms of I have so much new material, which wasn't in the original book, which I would like to augment because it's kind of shocking and revealing. And I've got— It it is a bit pervy, yes. And uh, I don't make them. I just write them. Uh, and, um, And I also have a book that I've been working on that's a passion project of mine for some time that's an historical biography about the man who created American beauty. He was an artist named Charles Dana Gibson who created the Gibson Girl. And a lot of his models became the first silent film stars. So Correct. it's this great kind of American oh, Downton Abbey yeah, story. Absolutely. And no one's ever written about nope. this. And there's the a great Girl. secret, of course, since this is Secrets Uncovered, there's always been a secret as to whether there was a real person who was the model for the Gibson Girl. And I discovered there was, and mm. there's a love triangle involved. So no that's... Don't give it away. Yeah. Don't give it away. They got to read the book. Yep, got to read the book. The I'll say no more. Where can listeners find you? Are you on social media? Do you have a web page? Do you have, have if they want to, if I they want to find you, you know, go to Amazon and look up your go name. Go to Amazon. I I write for a living. You know, I I, I don't do it on social media. You write I, for a loving. Yeah, I write, write for a living and a loving. So yes, and also. Because I've had a lot of really dangerous experiences, I really try to keep my private life Just and my, my circumstances yeah. very low-key. She lives in West Covina. <laughs> <laughs> I live in a castle Never in Spain. Not. We can't thank you enough. Oh, you're so thank welcome. You for being Thanks here. for the drink. Thanks for the Always. great conversation. And to be Cheers. continued. We're going to keep our wrap-up short because we were so fascinated by Suzanne that we went very long. So we're just going to thank you and ask you again to rate and review the podcast. We appreciate your support. And if you're new to the podcast, let us know what you think. Yeah, she, she was an amazing guest. So amazing that I'm looking forward to having her back again. There's so many stories, and that's only just scratching the surface. Don't forget to follow us on social media. You can message us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or email your questions to contact twoguysfromhollywood.com. And please do. We like to hear from you, so don't be shy. We'll talk at you soon. Two Guys from Hollywood is hosted, created, and produced by Alan Nevins and Joey Santos. Produced by Lauren Boone, editing and post-production by Nathan Moody, music by Luca, executive produced by Dan Patrick. It is also executive produced by Paul Anderson and Nick Pinella for Workhouse Media. This podcast is a production of Renaissance Literary and Talent and Dan Patrick Productions in association with Workhouse Media. Two Guys from Hollywood is a production of iHeartRadio and the Dan Patrick Podcast Network. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 